Chapter Twenty of the Turmoil. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Turmoil, Volume One of the Growth Trilogy by Booth Tarkington. Chapter Twenty. When he came into the house a few minutes later, he found his father sitting alone by the library fire. Bibbs went in and stood before him. I'm cured, father, he said. When do I go back to the shop? I'm ready. The desolate and grim old man did not relax. I was sitting up to give you a last chance to say something like that. I reckon it's about time. I just wanted to see if you'd have manhood enough not to make me take you over there by the collar. Last night I made up my mind I'd give you just one more day. Well, you got to it before I did. Pretty close to the eleventh hour, all right. Start tomorrow. It's the first of the month. Think you can get up in time? Six o'clock, Bibbs responded briskly, and I want to tell you, I'm going in in a cheerful spirit. As you said, I'll go, and I'll like it. That's your lookout, his father grunted. They'll put you back on the clipping machine. You get nine dollars a week. More than I'm worth, too, said Bibbs cheerfully. That reminds me. I didn't mean you by Midas in that nonsense I'd been writing. I meant, makes a hell of a lot of difference what you meant. I just wanted you to know. Good night, father. Good night. The sound of the young man's footsteps ascending the stairs became inaudible, and the house was quiet. But presently, as Sheridan sat staring angrily at the fire, the shuffling of a pair of slippers could be heard descending and Mrs. Sheridan made her appearance. Her oblique expression and the state of her toilet, being those of a person who, after trying unsuccessfully to sleep on one side, has got up to look for burglars. Papa, she exclaimed drowsily, why ain't you go to bed? It must be going on eleven o'clock. She yawned and seated herself near him, stretching out her hands to the fire. What's the matter, she asked sleep and anxiety striving sluggishly with each other in her voice i knew you were worried all dinner time you got something new on your mind besides jim's being taken away like he was what's worrying you now papa nothing she jeered feebly and tell me that you sat up to see bibbs didn't you he starts in at the shop again tomorrow morning said sheridan just the same as he did before just precisely. How long you going to keep him at it, Papa? She asked timidly. Until he knows something. The unhappy man struck his palms together, then got to his feet and began to pace the room, as was his wont when he talked. He'll go back to the machine he couldn't learn to tend properly in the six months he was there, and he'll stick to it till he does learn it. Do you suppose that Lummox ever asked himself why I want him to learn it? No, and I ain't a-going to tell him either. When he went there, I had him set on that simplest machine we got, and he stuck there. How much prospect would there be of his learning to run the whole business if he can't run the easiest machine in it? I sent him there to make him thorough, and what happened? He didn't like it. That boy's whole life. There's been a setting up of something mulish that's against everything I want him to do. 
I don't know what it is, but it's got to be worked out of him. Now, labor ain't any more a simple question than what it was when we were young. My idea is that, outside of union troubles, the man that can manage working men is the man that's been one himself. Well, I set Bibbs to learn the men and to learn the business, and he set himself to balk on the first job. That's what he did, and the box lasted close on to three years. If he balks again, I'm just done with him. Sometimes I feel like I'm pretty near done with everything anyhow. I knew there was something else, said Mrs. Sheridan, blinking over a yawn. You better let it go till tomorrow and get to bed now, lest you tell me. I suppose something happened to Roscoe, he said. Then what I have to look forward to. Then what could I depend on to hold things together? A lummox. A lummox that hasn't learned how to push a strip of zinc along a groove. Roscoe, she yawned. You needn't worry about Roscoe, Papa. He's the strongest child we had. I never did know anybody keep better health than he does. I don't believe he's even had a cold in five years. You better go up to bed, Papa. Suppose something did happen to him, though. You don't know what it means keeping property together these days, just keeping it alive, let alone making it grow the way I do. I've seen too many estates hacked away in chunks, big and little. I tell you, when a man dies, the wolves come out of the woods, pack after pack, to see what they can tear off for themselves. And if the dead man's children ain't on the job, night and day, everything he built will get carried off. Carried off. I've seen a big fortune behave like an ash barrel in a cyclone. There wasn't even a dust heap left to tell where it stood. I've seen it time and again. My Lord, when I think of such things coming to me, I don't seem like I deserved it. No man ever tried harder to raise his boys right than like I have. I planned and planned and planned how to bring him up to be guards to drive the wolves off and how to be builders to build and build bigger. I tell you, this business life is no fool's job nowadays. A man's got to have eyes in the back of his head. You hear talk sometimes it'd make you think the millennium had come. But right the next breath you'll hear somebody hollering about the great unrest. You bet there's a great unrest. There ain't any man alive smart enough to see what it's going to do to us in the end, nor what day it's got to set bust loose, but it's frothing and bubbling in the boiler. This country's been filling up with it from all over the world for a good many years, and the old camp meeting days are dead and done with. Church ain't what it used to be. Nothing's what it used to be. Everything's turned up from the bottom, and the growth is so big, and roots stick out in the air. There's an awful ruction going on, and you got to keep hopping if you're going to keep your balance on the top of it. And the schemers, they run like bugs on the bottom of a board after any piece of money they hear is loose. Fool schemes and crooked schemes. The fool ones are the most and the worst. You've got to fight to keep your money after you've made it. And the woods are full of mighty industrious men that's got only one motto. Get the other fellow's money before he gets yours. And when a man's built as I have, and then he's built good and strong and made good things grow and prosper, those are the fellows that lay for the chance to slide in and sneak the benefit of it and put their names to it. And what's the use of my having ever been born if such a thing as that is going to happen? And what's the use of my having worked my life and soul into my business if it's all going to be dispersed and scattered soon as I'm in the ground? He strode up and down the long room, gesticulating little regarding the troubled and drowsy figure by the fireside. His throat rumbled thunderously. The words came with stormy bitterness. 
You think this is a time for young men to be lying on beds of ease? I tell you there never was such a time before. There never was such opportunity. The sluggard is despoiled while he sleeps. Yes, by George. If a man lays down, they'll eat him before he wakes. But the live man can build straight up till he touches the sky. This is the businessman's day. It used to be the soldier's day and the statesman's day. But this is ours, and it ain't as sunny to go fishing. It's turmoil, turmoil. And you got to go out and live and breathe it and make it yourself, or you'll be a dead man walking around dreaming you're alive. And that's what my son Bibbs has been doing all his life, and what he'd rather do now than go out and do his part by me. And if anything happens to Roscoe... Oh, do stop worrying over such nonsense, Mrs. Sheridan interrupted, irritated into sharp wakefulness for the moment. There isn't anything going to happen to Roscoe, and you're just tormenting yourself about nothing. Aren't you ever going to bed? Sheridan halted. All right, Mama, he said with a vast sigh. Let's go up. And he snapped off the electric light, leaving only the rosy glow of the fire. Did you speak to Roscoe? She yawned, rising lopsidedly in her drowsiness. Did you mention what I told you the other evening? No, I will tomorrow. But Roscoe did not come downtown the next day, nor the next, nor did Sheridan see fit to enter his son's house. He waited. Then, on the fourth day of the month, Roscoe walked into his father's office at nine in the morning, when Sheridan happened to be alone. They told me downstairs you'd left word you wanted to see me. Sit down, said Sheridan, rising. Roscoe sat. His father walked close to him, sniffed suspiciously, and then walked away, smiling bitterly. Bah! he exclaimed, still at it. Yes, said Roscoe, I had a couple of drinks this morning. What about it? I reckon I'd better adopt some decent young man, his father returned. I'd bring Bibbs up here and put him in your place if he was fit. I would. Better do it, Roscoe assented sullenly. When'd you begin this thing? I always did drink a little, ever since I grew up, that is. Leave that talk out. You know what I mean. Well, I don't know as I ever had too much in office hours until the other day. Sheridan began cutting. It's a lie. I've had Ray Wills up from your office. He didn't want to give you away, but I put the hooks into him, and he came through. You were drunk twice before and couldn't work. You've been leaving your office for drinks every few hours for the last three weeks. I've been over your books. Your office is way behind. You haven't done any work to count in a month. All right, said Roscoe, drooping under the torture. It's all true. What are you going to do about it? Roscoe's head was sunk between his shoulders. I can't stand very much talk about it, father, he said pleadingly. No, Sheridan cried, neither can I. What do you think it means to me? He dropped into the chair at his big desk, groaning. I can't stand to talk about it any more, and you can stand to listen. But I'm going to find out what's the matter with you, and I'm going to straighten you out. Roscoe shook his head helplessly. You can't straighten me out. See here, said Sheridan. Can you go back to your office and stay sober today while I get my work done, or will I have to hire a couple of huskies to follow you around and knock the whiskey out of your hand if they see you trying to take it? You needn't worry about that, said Roscoe, looking up with a faint resentment. I'm not drinking because I've got a thirst. Well, what have you got? Nothing. Nothing you can do anything about. Nothing, I tell you. We'll see about that, said Sheridan harshly. Now, I can't fool with you today, and you've got to get out of that chair and get out of my office. You bring your wife to dinner tomorrow. You didn't come last Sunday, but you come tomorrow. I'll talk this out with you when the women folks are working the phonograph after dinner. 
you can keep sober till then. You better be sure, because I'm going to send Abercrombie down to your office every little while, and he'll let me know. Roscoe paused at the door. You told Abercrombie about it, he asked. Told him? And Sheridan laughed hideously. Do you suppose there's an elevator boy in the whole damn building that ate on to you? Roscoe settled his hat down over his eyes and went out. End of chapter 20